May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship. Really glad you came today uh, because this is week three of our series called Legends. Now, we have a rule at our house with our kids. And that rule is, is that if you get in trouble at school, you better tell us first. Because if we find out from the teacher or on your report card, like it's going to be 10 times worse for you. Well, last year when my son Ben was in first grade, (laughs) he drew the strictest teacher in the whole school for his teacher. Now, she was very loving and she was a great teacher, but I mean, she was seriously strict. And so at the start of the year, I mean, Ben was collecting marks like Halloween candy, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, it was happening for him. Well, anyway, um, I pick him up from school one day, and, you know, we get home, and, you know, before we start going through all the folders and looking at all what happened that day, I mean, he comes to me, he's like, hey, Dad, I got to talk to you. And I know what that means. I know it means that he got a mark that day, and he was to tell me in private because he didn't want his sister to know. Now, it's okay if you know. Because he's given me permission to tell you the story. So anyway, um, uh, anyway, so, uh, so he said, hey, dad, I got to talk to you. So we go in the ex- another room. He's like, and I can tell he's really struggling with this one. Because, I mean, he's, he's, he's got that very concerned look on his face, very disturbed, almost hurt. Like, and literally, he's almost on the verge of tears. And uh, he says, dad, I got a mark today for being disruptive in class, but I wasn't disruptive. I'm like, well... Did you, like, talk out loud in class? Like, no, sir. Like, did you get up out of your seat when you were supposed to? No, sir. Did you say something to make the other kids laugh? No, sir. Did you interrupt the teacher? No, sir. I'm like, well, Ben, I mean, she didn't give you a mark for nothing. I mean, what did you do? She's like, Dad, I promise. I didn't say anything. But there was this one time when she looked at me, and I did this. I got to be honest with you, I fell over laughing. Like, I was like, not a good parent at that point. I mean, I was like, well, I mean, what goes through these kids' heads, right? I mean, seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, look, pastor's kids aren't perfect. Your kids aren't perfect. Nobody's kids are perfect, okay? But here's the deal. There is this insidious legend that a godly home guarantees godly kids. Now, typically what people mean by that is they mean that if you take your kids to church and if you pray with your kids and you pray for your kids and you teach them right from wrong and you read the Bible with them or you show them how to read the Bible, if you, you know, do all that stuff, then they're going to grow up loving God and obeying God with their lives. And a lot of that comes from this verse that people cling to like a life preserver. It's there in your bulletin. So go and pull out your messengers if you haven't done so already. It's Proverbs 22.6. And here's what it says. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But i got to be honest with you. I know more than a few families who did everything right, 
and their kids still walked away from God. I, I mean, they took their kids to church. They prayed with their kids. They prayed for their kids. They lived out their faith in front of their kids. But when their kid became a teenager or went to college, their child walked away from God, walked away from all of it, and lived their life apart from God. And let me tell you, these parents are devastated because everything they believe, everything that they hold dear, has been cast aside by someone that they hold dear. I'm telling you, they have a lot of guilt about it. Because they think, if, you know, if we had just done something differently, if we had if we'd just done a better job, that things would have turned out differently than what they have been. And I'm telling you, the guilt is a heavy, heavy load to bear. And that's, and that's what they walk with. Because for, they've heard for years that a godly home guarantees godly kids. That's what they've heard. Well, like all legends, you know, part of this is true, part of this is not true. So, let's start by saying, by asking, what does God say is true about this legend? Well, here's your first feeling. Here's what God says. God says that this is a proverb, not a promise. This is a proverb, not a promise. Well, okay, Mike, what is a proverb? Well, here's what a proverb is. This is your next feeling. A proverb is a trustworthy saying about what is usually true, but not what is always true. Now, look, we have proverbs in our own culture, in our own society. I mean, like we say, what goes around comes around. Okay, that's like a proverb that we live by. And what we mean by that is that if you do something wrong, uh, to someone, you do something wrong, or you do something wrong to someone else. That eventually someone is going to do that very same thing back to you. Now, is that true in every case? No, but is that usually true? Yeah, it is. Okay, here's another one. Another proverb that we we say is this: If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Now, what we mean by that is that if you do something risky or dangerous, that eventually something bad is going to happen to you. Now, is that true in every case? No. But is that usually true? Yeah, it is. Well, it's the same thing with Proverbs 22.6. This is a proverb. It is what is usually true. It's not what is always true. It's trustworthy. But it's not a guarantee. And it was never meant to be a guarantee. Now, it just doesn't mean that the Bible's not reliable or that you can't trust it. I mean, that would be ridiculous. But what it does mean is that it's a proverb. And as a proverb, it is pretty much true. And it will pretty much give you the, the result that is predicted pretty much all the time. But not every time, but usually most of the time. That's what it what it is because it's a proverb, okay? Now look, so if there's no guarantee, then what does God want me to do as a parent? What does God want you to do as a parent or even as a grandparent? Well, here's the first thing. Number one is this, is I need to provide a godly home so that kids can have the best chance to choose Christ for themselves. 
I need to provide a godly home so the kids have the best chance to choose Christ for themselves. Because look, just because Proverbs 22.6 isn't a guarantee doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? It's still generally true, and it will generally give you the predicted result. This passage was never meant to be a promise. It was actually meant to be, it, it wasn't, let me say it this way. It wasn't meant to be a guarantee about the child. It was meant to be a directive to the parents about the importance of instructing and guiding and training a child. That is the point of the proverb. And look, parents are the number one influence on kids. Every single sociological study you'll ever read will bear that out. But look, kids aren't robots. They are going to make their own choices. But as a parent, you can stack the deck. As a grandparent, you can stack the deck. So, studies have shown that the majority of kids and teenagers become Christ followers before the age of 18. And when I say the majority, I mean like the vast majority. In fact, every study I've ever read says that number is over 90%. Over 90%. Which means that as parents and as grandparents, you have an enormous influence on your kids and on your teenagers and on your grandkids. And so you need to utilize that influence. Because look, the strongest evidence that Jesus Christ is real is you. And it's how you live. Likewise, the strongest evidence that Jesus Christ is not real is, how, is also how you live. Because to, when you live for Christ at home, it's very, very convincing. But on the flip side, when you tell children to live like what they hear about at church, and then you live a different way at home, it provides an incredibly powerful testimony that none of it's really true. I mean, come on. You know that, right? I mean, you, you, you've, you've experienced that about yourself. If you see someone that's a hypocrite, I mean, you think they don't even believe what they're saying. Because if they did, they would live differently. It's especially true when it comes to following Christ. And that's the point behind this very famous verse in the Old Testament. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and five through 7. It says this, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. How do you make an impression on your kids and on your grandkids? It's by how you live. It's by how you live. How you live is the greatest impression that your kids or grandkids will ever see. It's because they see how you live day to day. They see you on good days and they see you on bad days. That, will, that gives them the impression, okay? Look, a godly home is not a perfect home. It's not. A godly home is a place where people take following God seriously. That's what a godly home is. Look, your kids already know you aren't perfect. So don't try to pretend that you are. You don't have to be. But do they see you taking your relationship with God seriously? 
Do they see you giving it your best to live it out? Is that what your grandkids see in you? Is that what your teenagers see in you? Is that what your children see in you? I'm telling you, it is so convincing. And it stacks the deck in their favor. Because what is usually true is that when they see it in you, they will adopt it for themselves. And that's a proverb, not a guarantee, but it's a proverb that's usually true and will give you the predicted result most of the time. Okay, second thing that God would want us to do, wants me to do, and you to do as well, is this, number two. I need to do the best I can with what I have. I need to do the best I can with what I have. Look, when you became a parent, think if th- some of you might have to think back a little bit, but you probably thought you were pretty well prepared, right? But after a little sleep deprivation, and after you realize no matter how many times you pick up that pacifier off the floor, you are not going to get that kid to take it, and that kid is not going to stop crying, you realize you are totally not prepared for this. And the truth is, that sense of I'm not prepared lasts well through the teenage years. Because I don't know anybody that are at the end of the teenage years felt like they were really well prepared at the start. It just doesn't happen. But look, I mean, here's the thing. Even if you weren't perfectly prepared, you can still do the best you can with what was available to you at the time. That, that's what, it's, what I'm saying. And one key tool that every parent and grandparent has in this, in this room, one key tool that you have is the church. One key tool you have is the church. Now, let, look, let me be clear. It is not the church's job to raise your kids or grandkids for you. Okay? That is your job. But the church is a powerful ally that you have. Because if all you do is drop your kids off at church and expect us to do everything for you, that's not training. That's outsourcing. Okay? That's not what the Bible says that we're supposed to do. Okay? Look, the role of the church is to help you rear your children and grandchildren how to follow God. And at Parkway Fellowship, we, draw, we offer a wide variety of tools and opportunities to help equip you to make that job much more successful, okay? So here's a list of resources that we offer here at Parkway Fellowship. I'll list them for you. We offer a parent blog. And these are all for teenagers as well as if you have kids. We offer a parent cue app. We offer verses to memorize, a take-home sheet with kids, small group homework, an annual parent summit. We offer a first-step class for kids that when they, after they accept Christ. We offer FX concert nights, which are starting this summer. We offer baby dedication, parent newsletters, a God time sheet, which is a daily devotional sheet four times a week that you can use with your kids. An opportunity to serve in your child's class. We offer camps, retreats, mission trips. Look, as a parent, you have a wealth of resources here at the park that will help you. So take advantage of them. Make sure that your kid is involved. Make sure that you are involved. Look, don't just like bring your kid up here and drop them off like you're dropping them off at the mall, okay? Get involved. When you, when you do get your kids in the car and you head home, whether they're a teenager or whether they're a child, ask them, what did you learn? What did you get out of it? What did they talk about? Get involved in that discussion. 
Start those discussions. It might be a little awkward at first, but you still, you're the parent, you're the grandparent. You gotta make those discussions happen. Okay? Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25. I think this is the, the big reason, the motive behind this verse is the things we've been talking about. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, a recent stat was published at a children's ministry conference, and it says this. It says, kids and teens that grow up with three or more Christian adult positive influences in their life, get this, are 80% more likely not to walk away from their faith, but to stay strong in their faith through their college years. 80% more likely if they have three adult positive Christian influences in their life. So according to this verse, that's why it's so important that you don't give up the habit of meeting together. Because those kids and teenagers need you. They need you to be that influence for your kids, and you need to be that influence for other people's kids, to be one of those three. So, let me ask you, are you using the church as your ally in rearing your kids, in rearing your grandkids? Are you taking advantage of everything that the church has to offer? Are you involved here in being that positive adult influence for other people's kids and grandkids? Something God wants us to do. Okay, here's the third thing. Number three is this. Don't live in guilt over the past. Don't live in guilt over the past, okay? King David, same guy who slayed Goliath, he was a great king. But I'm telling you, he was a terrible dad, okay? Even his son Absalom, um, there was a time when his son Absalom lived at the palace But King David did not see him or talk to him for more than two years. Two years! Finally, Absalom had enough of it, called the king out on it because the whole thing was beyond ridiculous. Well, eventually, Absalom rebels against his dad, tries to take over as king, but is killed in battle. And I want you to look at what David's response is when a Cushite messenger comes to tell David that Absalom is dead. Look what happens. It says this in 2 Samuel 18, 31 through 33. Then the Cushite, that's the messenger, arrived and said, My Lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. Which means that he was killed. Verse 33. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. When David found out that Absalom had died, I mean, look at his response. He was, he 
he says he would basically have gladly have traded places with his son. If there was anything that he could have done to change the outcome, he would have. I mean, he wished that he had died instead of Absalom. That's what he's saying. But here's what I want you to see. It's what David does not say. I want you to notice what is not here. Bottom line, David doesn't punish himself for Absalom's choices. Nowhere does he take on the blame for what Absalom did. And look, he's got every reason to blame himself because he was a sorry dad by every report card. But nowhere does he take on that blame because he realizes that Absalom's choices were his choices. They weren't David's. It's what Absalom chose. And David didn't do anything to help steer him in the right direction. Not really. But even then, David doesn't take on that kind of guilt. Now look, I know if your kid or your grandkid makes some bad choices. Or they find themselves in a very difficult circumstance because of bad choices they made. And they're having a hard, hard time. I know that for every parent or grandparent in this room, you would do anything to try to change those circumstances. You wish you could trade places with them because you hate to see them suffer. But here's what you can't do. You can't take on the guilt for choices that they made. That's what you can't do, okay? The choices were theirs. They made them. You didn't. Look, David was a terrible parent. And even he didn't take on the guilt for Absalom's choices, honestly. And so neither should you. Compassionate? Yes. Help if you can without enabling? Sure. But taking on the guilt, there's no need. There's no need for that. Here's the last one. Number four. I need to pray like crazy. For my kids daily. I need to pray like crazy for my kids daily. Look, this is the most effective thing you could do. I mean, honestly, people tend to treat prayer as the last resort. But honestly, it's your first best option. I mean, it really is. Okay? Look what these verses say. Look what these verses say. James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Lamentations 2.19. Arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. How often do you pray for your, ch- for your kids, for your teenagers, for your grandkids? Like, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, praying for them when there's an emergency or like when they get themselves in a jam. I'm talking about regularly praying for them. Because look what the Bible says. I mean, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And a righteous man doesn't mean that you've got to be perfect and sin free. It just means that you're doing your best to live for God and aren't knowingly hypocritical. That's what it means. I mean, it says that those kinds of prayers are powerful and effective. So do you pray for them regularly? 
You know what? When you pray for your kids, don't, don't, don't pray general things like, God, please bless my kids. God, please just be with my kids. Be specific when you're praying for your kids, okay? Be specific that, pray for your kids that they would have a love for God's word. Pray that God would regularly use his word to change and alter their heart, which would alter the course of their life. Pray that they would hear God's voice and follow his direction. Pray that they would be generous, that they would be wise, that they would be kind, that they would be thoughtful, that they would be someone who lives with conviction and is not judgmental toward other people. Pray that they would be loving, that they would be patient. All the godly characteristics that you could possibly think of. And if there's something in your family that you don't want them to have as a part of their life because maybe there's divorce or addictions or pornography or homosexuality or greed that runs pervasive in your family. Pray that they pray specifically that those things would not be a part of their lives, that they would not give in to it. Pray specifically and powerfully for your kids. Look, and don't be afraid to let your kids hear you pray for them because that'll do two things. It will, first off, teach your kids how to pray. And secondly, it casts a God-sized vision for them of the kind of person that they should be. Don't underestimate how incredibly powerful that would be. So look, I mean, this whole legend of a godly home guarantees godly kids. It's not true. It's because it's a proverb. It's not a promise. But I tell you what. It's something that is usually true. And you can stack the deck in your kid's favor. If you will live like Christ yourself, provide that kind of powerful, powerful example for them. Okay? If, if you will um, understand that you just have to do the best you can with what you know at the time. Which means you utilize the church as much as you possibly can at every opportunity. It means... That you don't take on the guilt of their choices. It's their choice. You pray for them. Pray for them them daily like crazy. Because it's the first best option that you can use. I want everybody to pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your message notes. Because there's some next steps to take. So on the back of that card. Now I want everybody to fill out your own card. Everybody fill one out because we're going to pray for you as a parent, as a grandparent, if you fill out this card. We'll pray for you specifically by name this week. Here's the first next step. I commit to live my faith as diligently as I can so that my kids or grandkids could see how real Jesus really is. Would you make that commitment? Please make that commitment. Number two. I commit to use the church as a key tool to help me train my kids and grandkids to follow God. Would you do that? That means getting involved here as well. Would you want to do that? Next, send me the links to the online resources the church offers. Well, I'll just send you a whole pile of links. If you'll check that box, I'll send them to you this week. Links to, and not everything that we have here is online, but a lot of it is. I'll send you the links if you'll check that box. Next, I will not take on the guilt for choices my kids make. It could be so freeing for you. It could be so freeing for you. Next, I commit 
to pray specifically for my kids or grandkids daily. Did you make that commitment? Look, I mean, I know there's probably going to be days that you miss. Okay, I get that. But I mean, I'm talking about that, that's your regular commitment. That you're going to do it, try to do it every day. Pray for them, but do it specifically. Not these big general prayers, but specific things that you want to see God do and you want to see God do in them. Would you pray that for your kids, for your grandkids? Maybe this last one. I want to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. Because look, here's the thing. You can't guide your kids toward God unless you are following God yourself. And that starts by taking that first step of faith by asking Jesus Christ to come into your own life to do two things. First, forgive you for everything you've ever done. And second, making a commitment to follow him. Have you ever done that? There's a sample prayer right below these next steps. If you have never prayed that prayer to become a Christ follower, you know, something very similar to it, then you're not a Christ follower yet, but you can become one this morning. Would you pray that prayer right now and check that box because I want to mail you some free stuff in the mail that'll help you get started. I also want you to pick up a new believer packet. It's on a table just before you walk outside of each of these doors. Just snag one on your way out. Let me pray for all of us as Pat and the worship team come back up. Father, I thank you that even though there is no guarantee, God, there is so much that we as parents and grandparents can do to stack the deck in our kids' favor. And so I ask that you would help us to do that. I ask that we would do everything we can to live for you in front of them, to pray for them powerfully, to use the church as an ally. And God, that even when they make bad choices, even if they do walk away, and for those that have, God, I pray that we wouldn't take on those choices as guilt of our own. But God, we just use that as a call to pray for them that much harder. So Lord, help us to rear the next generation, to follow you like no generation has ever done so before. May they outpace us 10 times over. And I ask you to do all of this for the sake of our world and the sake of the next generation. In Jesus' name, we all pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.